Welcome to Holding a Thought Abroad, the podcast for expats with traveling partners. My name is Rhoda Bangater. I'm a certified coach and the author of the book, Holding the Thought Abroad. In this podcast, I interview men and women who live abroad and have traveling partners so that we can all benefit from their wisdom and experience. I also invite family and marriage therapists to apply their expertise to this topic. Today, I'm very excited. My guest is Margaret Gilmetti. Margaret is an award-winning storyteller, the author of Brave-ish, a memoir of a recovering perfectionist, and she was an accompanying spouse for many years. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rhoda. I'm a big fan of yours and of your book, and I am so, so grateful to be here. I think it's a blessing what you're bringing to the world. And so thank you for having me uh, in this conversation. Thank you so much. I'm excited to get started. Tell us a little bit where you come from and who you're married to. Uh, I come from Evanston, the first city north of Chicago, which is we live in Chicago now primarily. And I am married to a Swiss man who was born in Berne, in Bern. And together we have lived on four continents and have visited almost 50 countries. So uh, we have some really fixed points, Chicago and Lausanne, and in between, just love the world. Brilliant. I love the title of your book, Brave If. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. you. You do need to be brave to be an accompanying spouse, right? Tell us a little bit, um, well, you've said a little bit where you've lived. Tell us a little bit about your book. Oh, thank you for asking, Rhoda. That means a lot to me because the book really grew out of, I won't go into politics here, but a certain presidential election in the United States, not the most recent one, but the one before that, where I felt that we were being told that the other is bad. Mm -hmm. And having lived all around the world and really having learned from the world what I feel I would not have learned uh, living you know, without those experiences, the other for me is not bad. The other is, I mean, the world to me is an amazing place. And I've learned so much from each culture I've lived within. So I started to write. I had already done a lot. Of, I do a lot of live lit storytelling. I had already done a solo show. And I thought I'll do another solo show about my travelers' adventures and misadventures because doesn't everyone love to hear our travel misadventures? <laughs> uh, so I thought that's what I started to write was my travel adventures and misadventures over a few decades. And as I wrote, I realized, ah, I'm not just writing my literal journey. I'm writing my emotional journey, uh, starting out having left my career behind to become what we all know is affectionately called the trailing spouse. And I really wanted to share my journey from being, to use a word that comes up in your book a lot, uh, completely lost uh, without an identity, or at least so I thought, and growing into myself, our marriage changing and growing into my creative expression. So that's how the book evolved. I did not set out to write a memoir, and that's what it ended up being. And I do love sharing the world with people, but I also really love to empower and encourage women and men to live their own best lives. And I love to be in marriage. I love to be in partnership, but it's been quite a journey to come into my own within a partnership. Yeah, and that's maybe, well, maybe it's it's a, something that happens anyway <clears throat> when two people get married it's hard to create that line between two identities and 
one marriage, you know, exactly. The, the, the being the accompanying spouse, it's maybe even compounded. Um, mm-hmm. I love the way you structure your book around the handbook, though, that you were given. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Oh, <laughs> I'm grateful that you mentioned that because as someone who does love to write, uh, and now I, I work with other people who are writing their memoirs, but you know, in any great story, we want to see the hero or the heroine's journey, and we want to see them changed. Uh, and so as I'm writing my book, I'm thinking, what's sort of the umbrella? What's the thing that's going to hold the book together? And I just couldn't see what was going to hold it together. And then I had one of these magical muse moments where in the middle of the night, literally, I sat bolt upright and I thought, oh, you know what? I think we all get a handbook, not a literal handbook, but a a metaphorical handbook at birth that our parents hand on to us. And that sets down some rules. And in my case, they're really good rules. I mean, there are the rules that anyone I think wants to pass on to their children. But when used in excess, they don't work so well. So it's a strength over you. So that really helped me to see what I was going into our first expatriate assignment overusing some of these really valuable uh, lessons that I learned. And so that was another part of the book was watching the narrator's journey as she learns to revise the family handbook, keeping the things that are really you know, the values that keep us together as a society and caring for one another, but also revising them to allow me a, a bigger version of myself and, and to try to do what I, I hope I'm put on this earth to do. Yeah, thank you. Um, as soon as I read your book, I realized that you were an accompanying spouse with a traveling partner. Mm. And there are lots of things that I that I picked out from it and that I would love to cover with you. One of the sentences you use, which I love, is you say, his travels read like an atlas. Uh, (laughs) That 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 is so true for me as well when my husband travels. Um, And he was away a lot. At one point, you moved to Singapore and you write, he's off again and I'm left to settle in. Can you describe a bit what his traveling was like for you and what were the challenges? Yeah, I know you understand. (laughs) I think a lot of your (laughs) listeners will too, to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, luckily, the good news here is I've always been a traveler. Even when I was a little girl, my mother would say that I was born with one foot in my hometown and one foot out exploring the world, which is a very odd visual, but it is really true for me. I'm very rooted, and yet I really, really love to travel. So I always appreciated the fact that Patrick's job took us to these amazing places and meant that sometimes I could go with him. But yes, he was gone a lot. And by the time we get to Singapore, which is was the end of our expatriate assignments, I was in a very different place. But at the very beginning, it was very, very hard for me because it's true, I think, and Patrick's the first person to admit it, that most of the spouse who is, is moving for a job, the first day, you know, they go into an office and they have a support staff or they don't, but they have something to do. Whereas those of us who are trailing. We're doing everything else and trying to figure it out. So that was very hard for me at the beginning. To use another line that comes up in your book, Rhoda, I signed up for it. And I mean, my family handbook said, do it yourself, do it right yesterday without any help, be strong, be stoic, don't ask for anything. And so at the very beginning, that was very hard for me because I didn't have a voice. Patrick would have loved for me to speak up, but I didn't have a voice around that. I just thought, well, this is this is how it works. And so mm. he'd get to 
the hotel in Paris and with the general manager then said, I'll see you in an hour. Yeah. And I thought an hour, <laughs> you know, we, we don't get one day to settle in, but that's yeah. just the nature certainly of a hotelier's life. And so it was very, very hard for me at the beginning because of, of what, you know, we've already touched on the, the sense of not having an identity. I did not know what I was doing, but I thought I did. And that's the rub for me is I spoke a few languages already. I already loved to travel and had traveled a lot. So I thought, oh, I've got this. Mm. I did not have it. So it was really hard at the beginning, that disconnect between feeling this is going to be great. I'm going to be the most culturally sensitive expatriate ever known to man. I'm going to, you know, it's going to be amazing. It was really lonely and really hard. And so his traveling or being at work all the time compounded it. It was always me not living my life. Yeah, but I think it's super important for people to hear that, you know, it's okay to think that we had it and mm. then not have it, you know. <laughs> Amen. It's I also, would wish it's, that for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, a, it's not, it's not, nothing to be ashamed about to think, oh, we've got this in the bag. It's fine. I'll be fine. It's going to be so exciting. I know exactly what I'm letting myself into. And then be surprised along the way that maybe it's harder than what we expected or that the reality of what we're living is is different. So and true. I really wish you'd written your book 22 years ago. I just wish we could time machine so I could read that now. So I wish that for anyone exactly what you're saying. That yeah. But, but you, okay knew, you knew what it was like to work in a hotel because you, you were working mm -hmm. in, in one too, right? You knew he would be traveling. So how did how did that end up surprising you? Right. That's true. I, I'm asking you directly. I mean, I know it's true. I also knew what I was getting myself into and it, and it still surprised me. Right. Thank you. Well, it is funny that you say that because at a certain point I said to my, my mother before we moved abroad, but Patrick was working all the time. I mean, he's a really responsible, amazing, hard worker. And I love that about him. But I said to my mom, it's, and I'm a very hard work, responsible person too. But it was different when I had my own career. I knew what I was doing. I was working hard, probably too hard as well. But at least we were working too hard together. And then all of a sudden, I kind of felt like I fell off a cliff where I was, I knew what I was doing and I have a job to do. And all of a sudden it's like, ah. Uh, and as you know, Rhoda, Patrick and I were not blessed with children. So I'm not saying it's easier to move with children or without. I think both present their own unique challenges. But I didn't have that circle of parents um, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying it's easier with children. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. But I didn't have that immediate connection. I was every place we moved to creating a new life, which is very exciting, but really hard. And so you're right. I always knew Patrick would be traveling. I love it when he's traveling. He's so happy. I want him to be happy. But I had to learn oh, okay, I want to be happy too. And I want to create my own life. So yes, back to I started to say when my mom, I told her long ago, oh my gosh, Patrick is working all the time. And my mom, who has loved Patrick so much, she just chuckled and said, no, what is it that we didn't know about Patrick before we married him? So you're right. I always knew. I always knew he's a really dedicated professional, but it was different when I I was also super busy all the time with my stuff. And then when he was traveling all the time, when I didn't even know what I was doing, that really hit me hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you didn't necessarily know anybody, even if you knew people from the hotel industry, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And that's a great point. I did, I talk about in the book, My Guardian Angel, there was a woman who absolutely took me under her wing. I mean, she saw me and she would kind of hold my hand and feed me cookies and, you know, sit me down and take me on excursions and kind of really shepherded me, shepherded me through the loneliest time which was a wonderful gift to me to, to be in a place of surrender and not in control. I mean, I love to be in control and I was not in control. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm ever grateful for the people who see us and let us be ourselves at our most vulnerable. Mm. And as you said early in the conversation, the people who let us say, I thought I had it I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay to be it's okay. surprised by something you signed up for and thought you knew, right. you, you know, <laughs> right. um, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to bring something up that I didn't forewarn you of. Uh, oh, good. How exciting. In but, uh, <laughs> at one point you mentioned like that you need him to have your back too. Mm. One of the things I experienced with my husband as well, and I think a lot of non-traveling spouses experience is that their partners are away when you need them. Mm. How do you navigate that? That's hard. I think that's really hard. I love, again, in your book, you really, at, at, in the end, give a, a, essentially a workbook for people to negotiate that, to figure out how are each of us going to get the support we need, even when we're not in the same place. It can be hard enough sometimes when we're in the same place, but we had to learn to communicate a lot more honestly than we came into the marriage. We both come from this really kind of stoic, just do it kind of family. And we really needed to learn it. I mean, I'm not grateful that we weren't able to have children, but our many years of struggling with infertility compelled us to get mm. counseling around that. And I love every therapist I've ever met because God bless therapists who help help us through. Um, and that really was a turning point in our marriage because it was so crushing, but we needed to learn how to communicate differently. So that's definitely a part of, I think, any any marriage's journey, or that's what I would wish for for any partnership is to learn to be more honest and to say, this is what I need. I mean, Patrick laughs, but sometimes I will literally say to him, these are the exact words I need you to say. Right. And I have friends who are like, don't you wish your husband knew what to say? I'm like, of course I wish my husband knew what to say, but I don't want to risk him not getting it right sometimes. That so uh, it's, you know, that's what any partnership is, is compromising and learning each other's styles mm. and learning to, uh, we try to meet kind of in the middle. But you're right, there are times when we're apart, it's really hard when we need the other person. So that's honestly when I've learned to cast my net a lot wider. I rely on a big network of family and friends because sometimes Patrick just literally physically cannot give me what I need. And that's okay. I sometimes can't give him what he needs. That's not a fairy tale kind of uh, answer to that. But that's been our, our experiences. Sometimes I really need to be honest and tell someone else, my husband isn't here. I need you. Help me. I mean, I'm really good at throwing myself on the mercy of people. <laughs> I had to learn that the hard way. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, so you've had to learn that. huh? I think help yes. is one of the biggest things that I've learned personally as well. I'm still learning. And it's something that I'm 
working on as a resource um mm. you know i've prepared a, a guidebook but it's always in evolving as a guidebook you know how do you ask for help as an expat and a lot of people say you know that it's because they, they feel indebted to the person mm. who's helped them then you know and if they feel they're not in a position to help back and i always say was well, for me it's more like a pay it forward so you mm. you help me now i can't help you back but i will help someone else you know further along the, the line but what was your sort of journey with with asking for help? Because it is hard when you arrive in a new place. You don't necessarily know people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love really just want to take a second to, to, to pause on that. I love that paying it forward concept. And I also much, much later in life when my parents were at the end of life and I was still trying to do everything, do everything to care for them. I have three older brothers and someone said to me, Margaret, you need to give the blessing of caring for your parents to other people too. You need to share that blessing. And it really reframed for me the notion of, I love to help people. I'm sure you love to help people, Rhoda. Other people love to help me. It just, it took overcoming the family handbook. One of the rules, if if you want it done right, do it yourself. Another one is always put others first. Mm -hmm. Uh, Above all, just do it. Don't air your dirty laundry in public. All of these things that a lot of us learned, I had to set that all aside and say, let me give someone else the blessing of of being caring of me. And yes, I will pay it forward. And I will do something nice for them. You know, that whole concept of the emotional bank account that someone taught me long ago, I love to put into the bank account, my emotional bank account with everyone else. And you're right, I really, really have to struggle to withdraw. And that irritates the heck out of my friends. My friends are like, would you please make a withdrawal? Please. It's so frustrating for other people when all I do is feel like, oh, I just let me give, let me give. And other people are like, let me give too. I mean, I really have found that it really has deepened my relationship with people to allow them to help because it's not my first instinct, but people really, really want it. And something you mentioned in the book or one of your resources says, be specific. And that's been super helpful because people will say, you know, I want to help you. I'm here to help you. And I have learned, thank you. This is exactly what you can do for me. As opposed to just taking that in, it feels warm and fuzzy for a second. And then I don't take advantage of it. When they offer help, most people are genuine. So I try to be super specific with people. Um, I've also really learned to stop saying, I'm fine. When someone asks me, how how are you? Because for many years, when I said, I'm fine, that is not what I meant. And I was looking for people to dig deeper. Patrick knows by now, when I say I'm fine, I am just flat out lying to him. And I, I am really like begging for him to ask me the next question. No, how are you really? So when I when someone asks me in an uncomfortable situation, how are you? I try really hard not to say I'm fine, because that's the old handbook. That's the old story. But to say, if I say I'm fine, then say, uh, wait, what does that mean? And then be specific and accept help. And sometimes it, it isn't from Patrick. And I know he wants to help, but sometimes he, he, can't, he can't. That is super, super good advice. And leaving them the responsibility of saying yes or no. That's hmm. something I've learned. It's like they, they're adults. If they want, if they're not <laughs> able to, then they will say no. <laughs> <laughs> That's also wonderful to give people agency. And thank you for reminding me that because as a lifelong people pleaser, I'm always trying to live everyone else's life for them. And, and you're right. I need to remind myself, let people have their own experience. 
and sometimes trust that they will say yes yeah. or no, <laughs> which is yeah. hard for me. I'm I'm assuming that I have to to figure it out for them, and I don't. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Brene Brown, she says it's a sign of trust when you ask people for help. Mm. That that changed things for me a bit too. I uh, you know to to actually show them that I'm trusting them by by letting them in, mm. um, and I that's something that. that Emily Rogers, um, I don't know if you you know her. She's an expat coach, and she she wrote on one of the I, I put the question on one in one of the groups, you know, about asking for help. And she said that she has learned to trust people very quickly. She's had mm. to you know decide very quickly who she's going to trust and trust them quickly because otherwise it's, it takes longer to create a, a network. So wow, that's wonderful advice. That's really wonderful advice. And I think to I I think I probably have learned to trust people quickly, but to know I don't look to any one human being to be everything for me. So if someone can be helpful to me and I can be helpful to them, it may be in a smaller scale than I would have previously imagined. But I love that advice. And I mean, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan with the concept of vulnerability being courage and being bravery to to mm. to let people see how we're really doing oh yeah that's that's feels very brave I yeah, think <laughs> totally and I've had to be in situations where I've had to ask and accept help mm. um, to actually get to that place yeah did you have any non-negotiables did you develop any non-negotiables with Patrick over the years Things I like love the word develop because at the beginning I really thought there were, again, for me, it's a matter of communication. I thought there were some non-negotiables that I thought were understood. Like, like <laughs> what, they, for example? Well, the one that we laugh about now, because it's many, many years ago, uh, but when we first moved to Cairo, and um, this friend who took me under her wings invited us over for an American Thanksgiving. And for anyone who knows about American Thanksgiving, it's a really, it's a, it's a beautiful holiday to be together with people. And I was so grateful and so looking forward to it. And I said to Patrick, please, just this once, just this once, can you please commit to being home, you know, at this particular time, which would have been much earlier than a normal time. And he said, yes. And he wasn't. And that's okay. I'm okay with now, by now with broken agreements. But I realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm trying to change this situation for him. He's going to do what he's going to do. And he really is a lovely person, but he's got his own journey. I needed to make some non-negotiables, not for him, but for me. So by the end of the book just traces my journey, as I've said, by the time we really, by the time we moved to Bangkok, what became a non-negotiable for me is I'm not a really fancy dress kind of person. And I had been to so many galas and so many cocktail parties. And I was happy to be there when I brought value. But it came became really apparent to me that I didn't need to be at all of these fancy things. I wasn't adding any value. I wasn't doing anything besides doing what I thought I should be doing. And so that became a non-negotiable that Patrick was the first person to say, oh, well, of course, I thought that was understood. So I had always misunderstood that I had to be there at every single ribbon cutting and this and that. And I said, I'll be there anytime you need me to be there. And anytime I bring value. And 
that cut out a lot of stuff that I really didn't want to do. So those that became a non-negotiable for, for me about me, because I stopped trying to think of non-negotiables that were Patrick's um, and started to think about, wait a minute, what's most important to me? What allows me to be the most me? Wow. That is super, super important. So are, are you saying that you found that it worked better when you, I suppose the word is boundaries. Yes. You said, this is what I'm going to be doing. And this is not what I'm going to be doing. And then you found out that actually it was perfectly fine. And that Patrick, could, that's yes. what his expectation was anyway. Yes. Rather than, rather than, rather than saying, okay, Patrick, I want this to be a non-negotiable and that to be a non-negotiable. And then him, not be able to actually fulfill it just because of the kind of life and responsibilities that he had. Exactly. Once I took the onus off of him, uh, well, that's true for me in life in general. Anytime I stop trying to control anything outside my teeny tiny circle of control, which is me on a good day, um, and my life has gotten a lot better. So I do set boundaries. I try to keep them very soft. Someone said to me, for people like me to imagine a very soft, almost a watery skin around me, which sounds a little woo-woo. I acknowledge that. But she said that will help you stay in yourself and still be there for people, but not be what I tend to do is always rush into everyone else's life. Or I'll find that not literally, but that I picked someone up and I have them in my arms. They may not want to be in my arms, but oh, I've got them. You know, I yeah, will yeah. I will be the sentry and I will make sure they're okay. And I have found most adults really don't need me to do that. <laughs> and the people who really, really love that, I've had to stop doing it myself. You know, some people really do like that. Um, and I've had to grow out of that tendency myself because it it's really not living my life. It's not fair to me. It's not really respectful of, of their agency in the world. Mm. So yeah, it was, it was uh, me stop, stop saying yes to everything that I don't need to say yes to. Yeah. What would you say to someone who has a partner who's away a lot for work and who feels lonely or disconnected or unhappy about the situation? I, at the risk of really repeating myself, it's really... If I could give my younger self or anyone, ask for help, accept help as we agree, be specific. I do think moving to a new place, something I really learned was to cast a very wide net. So get, I'm, I'm a very social introvert. So I'm someone who I love to be with people and then I need to be very quiet to recharge my battery. So I kind of sometimes need to force myself out to join groups, but then I don't feel that I'm going to necessarily, quote unquote, be best friends with everyone. I really do love to find one person I can have a real conversation with over a really dark cup of espresso. That's, that's my dream in any destination. <laughs> I always join the international women's group. I don't do the things that don't interest me. The things that always interest me are book clubs. And that's where I meet like-minded people. So it, it's really what you said, Rhoda, is acknowledging I'm not fine right now. I'm not, I don't have it. It's okay for me to be lonely, admit that. And then of course, I, I think we need to share ourselves more honestly with our partners, with our closest friends, so that they know. I mean, a lot of my closest friends in reading my book, people I've known for decades, said to me, if I'd only known how lonely you were, 
I would have been there for you, even from 7,000 kilometers away. If I'd only known you were so sad. And I take responsibility for that. That was not my fault, but I didn't know that being a fuller adult was letting people in and telling people, I'm lonely, I'm sad. Can you hold my hand from 7,000 kilometers away? Can you chat with me for a second? Can you, whatever I needed. And I also found that the people I met, I mean, I kind of made myself go out and be with like-minded people. I even joined the International Women's Club when I moved back to my hometown because it was really important for me to be with people who understood the repatriation experience mm-hmm. and whose uh, world didn't stop at the county line. I mean, I'm I'm really love to be with people who are interested in the world. And so for me to join the International Women's Club of Chicago, that way I, I could meet some like-minded people, even though I have a, a lifetime of friends who are lovely, but I really think reach out to someone that we feel can be can can allow us to be ourselves yeah because your your friends in other countries didn't know when your husband was home and when he was gone right uh people just assumed he was gone (laughs) people assumed he was gone yeah i would say everyone knew patrick that's just the nature of his job so it changed by the time we moved to it was different when he was working inside a hotel um, he was there, but then he was he was always traveling. So I mean, people tease us about that, but we're always traveling. So it wasn't a surprise to my friends. People are just like, "Where's Patrick now? Where are you now?" I mean, that's the nature of of our marriage is we we haven't been in one place very long. <laughs> okay, so they knew that that he wasn't home and that you were alone, but they didn't mm-hmm. realize you were lonely because I kept t- telling them I'm fine. Mm. I absolutely take responsibility for that. I kept telling everyone, I've got this. I'm fine. I signed up for it, to use a line from your book. Uh, And I I really, the family handbook was like, just do it. You know, I, I had moved to, our first move was to Paris. And most of our friends were back in the suburbs uh, with, you know, dragging their kids to the grocery store in a minivan and I didn't think it was kind of me to say, I'm living inside a five-star hotel in Paris and I'm lonely and sad. Yeah. I didn't, feel, now I do. Now I say, you know, I, I want to know how you're doing. I genuinely want to know how people are really doing. And I really trust that pe- my, the people who love us really want to know how we're doing. So now I can say to someone, wow, I'm, I'm on the, I'm looking at the Matterhorn. It's beautiful. I'm not, but if I were, you know, and I, it's someone just handed me chocolate and he's super handsome and the sun is out and and I still maybe I feel lonely or sad. And I trust that my friends will understand that even in what feels possibly to them like enviable circumstances, we still get to have the feelings we're having. And for me, sometimes even in five star hotels, those feelings were lonely and sad. At the time, I just didn't know to be honest about that. Now I do. So I, I had to learn that. I had to learn to let people in. This is so, so important. Thank you so much for sharing this with us, Margaret, because mm. people need to hear that. I think that's one of the, the big sort of, um, I don't know what the word is, it just secrecy of this life is you can be in the most beautiful surroundings and you're like, well, I don't understand. Why, why am I feeling 
mm. this low I shouldn't be feeling this low and it's that should isn't it and people mm-hmm. won't understand why I'm living this supposedly dream life but but feeling so low um and lonely so um I love the way you you say it you know that that you trust that the people who love you and care for you actually want to know how you're really doing and that it's mm. a, and it, it's actually possible to feel horrible in in beautiful <laughs> surroundings mm-hmm. well I actually the first line of my book is how lucky am I I keep telling myself that whenever I feel uncertain about our move overseas mm. because people kept telling me not my close friends but people that's what I kept hearing was, wow, how lucky are you? And I internalized that. I thought, oh, yeah, how lucky am I? Which I am. I mean, I'm a really constitutionally a very positive person. And I, I really do know how lucky I am. But I really had to overcome being told by other people, uh, people, who I would say, who don't love me. Wow, you're so lucky. It just I allowed it to shut me down. And I, I don't do that anymore. I don't allow that to be shut down. And I don't, I try not to make those assumptions about anyone else's life. You know, mm-hmm. oh gosh, they have this or that. It's like the having is not necessarily what makes us happy. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been a journey, right, Rhoda, for all of us. <laughs> but I, I love um, that we were able to talk about this journey yes as an expat yes as an accompanying spouse but with this specific angle of having a partner who who is away all the time because i think it brings a certain extra element to this life um and thank you for sharing thank you for being open about your journey and what you've been through and how you've um you know processed it and what's been helpful what's your favorite resource you would recommend well I'm going to be honest I really think people should get your book and this is not a plug but I think there are so many wonderful resources like your book like podcasts for expatriates which allow us to know that we're not alone Mm. we're not alone I really for a long time thought either I had it together or everyone else had it together. We were all lying to each other, I think. (laughs) And now I just, I love people who don't lie about it. It's like, this is life. This is what we're dealing with. And as you say, it is really specific when the partner is away. It's different for the person who does an expatriate assignment where where the partner is there. And they're they're both challenging in their own ways. Mm -hmm. But I think um, if I had known Oh, I'm not, I'm not alone. There are other people who are growing and who are learning and who are struggling. We can, we can struggle together. I mean, it's nice for me to struggle together. We're, we're on this, we're on this path together. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Margaret. And, um, I totally recommend reading your book too. There's lots of things we haven't touched on as well. How can people reach you? Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Um, and I'd just like to say for the title, thank you for appreciating Brave-ish. That took me, it came to me and people have said, what does the ish mean? I feel like that's another part of our journey too, is it's not that I'm, I went into all of this so brave, like so brave. And I really had to learn to only be brave-ish, that there are moments when 
I'm not brave and it's okay. So people can find Brave-ish. They can order it through any bookseller or people who use Amazon. It's available on Amazon. I'm very grateful to anyone who chooses to journey with me. Uh, And I do have a website. It's www.myfirstandlastname.com. So uh, anyone who can get that crazy spelling right can I'll, find I'll me that way. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also really happy to talk to anyone who ever wants to write up some of their experiences or someone who is feeling alone. Um, I do talk about infertility in the book, and I know you work with a lot of parents, but I'm happy to talk about getting through that. You know, in my book that I stopped drinking, which was a really important part of my journey and something I think is uh, really hard for a lot of people. They turn to outside substances to make the loneliness go away. So I'm available if anyone ever needs a, a listening ear on the other end of the email or the phone. Super, super. Thank you so much, Margaret. Thank you, Rhoda. <laughs> <laughs> bye-bye. Bye-bye.